0: I am profoundly honored and grateful and happy to be with you this evening. Thank you for being here. We can hear through these windows some of the alternatives of (laughs) (laughs) of where you could be this evening. was somewhat of a culture shock for me because <laughs> I live in Mumbai, Mumbai, India, and I've never seen this, um, whatever it is,
1: <laughs>
0: I saw about 64 Santa Clauses. <laughs> Standing in line to go into a bar,
1: <laughs>
0: and I was thinking, uh, are they going in there to give gifts to the children? Because <laughs> that was that's my only recollection of Santa Claus. <laughs> children sit on their laps, and they take photos, and they give gifts, and all of those things. So I asked some. Um, some of the people walking with me, what are they doing? (laughs) And uh, there's no need for me to uh, tell what the reply
1: was.
0: (laughs) But it is a lesson of, because the principle of Santa Claus, I really didn't expect to be speaking on this subject. (laughs) In fact, at this moment, I'm still not expecting this figure. (laughs) But the idea is selfless giving. You know, the legend is he he goes through the snow all night long just to give gifts to people. So, you know, there's a lot of sacrifice of giving. But now, in in his good name, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> With his good dress,
1: <laughs>
0: from the different um, Santa Claus-like people out there, <laughs> the words they were using, and uh, uh, it's like a—it's re- a reflection. The idea of. The principle that we're to learn from the tradition is, in giving we receive. That is a universal truth. Two nights ago, I was with Padma Devi Sharon Gannon, one of our special guests this evening, along with the family of the Councilor General of the great land of India, Mother India and my dear god brothers Nitya Dita Prabhu and Anuttama Prabhu and Ram Tulsi Devi and so many others, Arjuna Prabhu. we were up we went upstairs to Bir Ram and Dhyanprema Premaras Devi's apartment and we saw a sight that deeply impacted my life. A little baby, three three months old, baby not talking, at least in a language that we can understand. Not walking, just sitting on a little rocking, uh, a manual rocking machine. And the mother was sitting in front just pushing gently and the baby was rocking and rocking and looking at mother and mother looking at baby. And this baby looked so happy. His name is Chandra. He was beaming, eyes glistening, smiling, radiant with joy. I'm not exaggerating.
1: <laughs>
0: he just looked like the happiest person in the world. I don't want to make comparisons, but much more happy than any of those Santa Clauses I Saw walking down First Avenue today. <laughs> but he looked so happy. And his mother looked even happier. I looked at her, she was, ha- she was so happy to see him happy. And I could experience. Now as a Swami, my tendency is to try to philosophically evaluate what I see. And it was very simple. The very essence of all Shastras or scriptures the very culmination of the teachings of all great persons, that child was so happy because he was feeling shelter. There was no fear. Couldn't sense any fear in his smile. He felt completely sheltered and protected. By what? By the love of his mother. He could feel that her love was unconditional. No matter what he did or didn't do, her love was there with him. He could, he was fearless because he felt the shelter of that love. And ultimately, we are all seeking the shelter of love. Because as we grow older, many layers of complications come over that basic human quality, the quality of the heart, The quality of the very soul, the atma, seeking to be loved and to love. The reciprocation of being loved is to love unconditionally. That little child seems to be understanding the subject. (laughs) but with, with all kinds of conditioned experiences we have in life and heartbreaks and betrayals and, and intellectual um, evaluations of how things work, sometimes we lose that connection to the heart's deepest yearning, the greatest need. Because when, when we feel that somebody truly loves us unconditionally, <laughs> it fills us. It satisfies us. And from a spiritual perspective, the Vedanta Sutra, Brahma Sutra tells, "Janmad yashaya that the origin of everything is in the Supreme Truth, or God, who has many names. Brahman, Krishna, Ram, Parabrahman. The origin of everything, the origin of all love, the origin of all beauty, In the Bhagavad Gita, it has said, bhaktaram Jagatapasam Sarvloka Maheshvaram Suhritam Sarvabhutha Nam Kiatva Shanti Mridhjyati." One can achieve true peace when one finds the shelter of God's love. Otherwise, there is no sustaining peace. Because in that love is ananda, or spiritual joy. And peace, or shanti, is a natural byproduct of prema, or divine love. Because in that love, we find shelter in any situation. Whatever may happen, the Supreme Lord is within my heart, within the heart of every living being. And Suratam Sarvabhutanam is our ever-well-wishing, most intimate friend. Sarvasya Is it the original father and mother of everyone. There's a verse in Gita, "Vita vitharaga bhyakarodha manmayam mamupashrta bahavogyanatapasa putamat bhavam agataha. Being freed from attachment, fear, and anger, always absorbed in me, Taking shelter of me. Many great persons in the past have become purified by knowledge of me and thus attained transcendental love for me. When we have faith, when we take shelter, we could recognize the ever-existing love that the Supreme Being, that God, that Krishna, within our heart has for us. And nothing could change that. Tesham satatayukdhānam bhajatam priti purgatam tadāmi-bhūdhi-yogam tam yenam amupayam today. Krishna tells in Gita, for one, or for those who are constantly devoted and worship me with love. Priti Purvaka. Those who are filled with love. Krishna within the heart says, I give the understanding by which they could know me and come to me daivī heśyakunamāyī mamamāyā duratya yā mam evam ye prapadyante mayam e This material existence is very complicated. And there are so many sufferings that everyone has to endure. dukalāyam ashāśvatam which means it's a place of suffering because everything's temporary. You can't hold on to anything. Janma, mitya, vyadi, that birth, old age, disease and death are inevitable. We could make so many plans and so many arrangements for security and for um, pleasure, but it never fulfills the heart and it does not sustain. Krishna says, it's very difficult to overcome the false ego. Anger, selfish desires, arrogance, and greed. But the most difficult thing to overcome is envy. From pride and envy, all other unwanted or anarchic qualities arise. One great philosopher explained that gratitude was the mother of all virtues. Well, um, envy, I don't want to connect a mother to envy. (laughs) But envy is like the root of all the weeds of unwanted desires. And Krishna tells in Gita all that really one needs to do to know me and to love me and to be happy in any circumstance, is one needs to be free of envy. Because in that state we can actually take shelter. From time to time in in this discussion, We hear babies crying, and what are those babies crying for? They're crying for the shelter of their mothers. Maybe pain, maybe hunger, or it may be just wanting to be noticed. (laughs) I'm not going to try to psychologically analyze babies. (laughs) But this is my understanding. They're crying for the shelter of their mother. Because they know under any circumstance my mother is there for me and there's no fear. And when the baby sees the mother's joy in seeing them smile, they recognize the reciprocation when they see the, ba- the mother's concern over their sorrow. Satsang, or being in the company of spiritually-minded people, is the environment by which we not just develop but we awaken from within our souls shraddha or faith. Faith is not just a um, conception created in the mind of believing in something. When we speak of shraddha, the Sanskrit word for faith, it's the awakening, Of the defixed instinctive nature of our eternal self. Because in that faith we find shelter. The child has implicit faith in the mother, if the mother's a good mother. In the association, in the those sirens, they're very important for us. In whatever situation, we're meant to learn how to come closer to God. The sirens, you know, we just hear a sound and we go, oh, it's just a disturbance to us. Very slight little disturbance. And, you know, in different generations, they, say, they change the sounds of sirens. It used to be, now it's, <laughs> <laughs> and they see with each generation, the sound seems to be more annoying, <laughs> <laughs> more disruptive. So we're getting a little disturbance. But whoever that siren is going toward, what, is, what are they going through? People having heart attacks, having strokes, getting in automobile crashes, houses on fire, people being shot with guns or stabbed with knives. That's what it usually means. It's a crisis. And these sirens, they're like alarms, because the purpose of a siren is that everyone gets out of the way. Well, similarly, there are so many obstacles for us to seek shelter of the Lord and to receive the shelter. But when we recognize the need and the various obstacles, the traffic that's cluttering our mind, kind of clears. The principle of the yoga system of Patanjali, in his Yoga Sutras, he has given us this essential teaching, samadhi-siddhir-ishwara-pranidhanat. The perfection of samadhi is to seek shelter of Ishwara, of the Supreme Being. the perfection of yoga is samadhi and the perfection of samadhi, sit here, is the sheik shelter of the Supreme Being. In the Bible it is said that the first and great commandment is to love God with all your heart, all your mind and all your soul and to love your neighbor as yourself. To seek shelter of that love. And we need community. We need each other to help remain focused. To to help each other to be aware of The distractions and the false promises, let us say the mirages that are promising us shelter, promising us pleasure, promising us happiness, but has no spiritual substance. The reservoir, the limitless Karuna Sindhu. An ocean that has no bottom and no shores is the nature of God's love. That the Supreme Dharma is not just one sect or one religion or another. The supreme dharma, the sanatana dharma, is that which awakens from within our heart love, love for the supreme, for Krishna. Such love must be unmotivated by selfishness or egoism and uninterrupted by any circumstance to actually satisfy our true self. And that love is not ever to be found when we're seeking pleasure from it. That could be a preliminary way of putting us in the direction. But that love is actually realized when we're willing to make sacrifices to please the beloved, when we're willing to tapasya tapodivyam putrakayena sattvam, when we're even willing to endure difficulties to love. And that's only really possible when we have faith. I was speaking last night a story that I'd like to share with you. In Mumbai, we have our Bhaktivedanta Hospital. And even before we had the hospital, we had some doctors. It started really interesting. There was some uh, um, gatherings like this, speaking about these higher spiritual truths in some medical colleges and some of the students took to we want to live and aspire for this highest meaningful purpose of being an instrument of God's love and many of these students wanted to leave their colleges and become monks join the ashram So we encourage them. Continue your studies. Finish your studies, then we can consider. So they got their medical degrees. Can we become monks? Yeah, you can, but what? You know, you've come this far. Do your speciality.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> do your super speciality. Now that you have all these things, you know, might as well get married. (laughs) So all these young doctor ladies and young doctor men, they started getting married and they all started practicing medicine. But they were every bit as devoted and as focused as monks. And they all had their own little practices, and then they started what they called a polyclinic—just a couple little rooms and a little one-room um, place in a remote area. And they were so happy, and they were just—they were healing the body, the mind, and the souls. Then there was an idea. We have, you know, we. We have pediatricians we have cancer surgeons and general surgeons. We have doctors and radiologists and have all these different branches, orthopedics. Why don't we just start a hospital? So they did. But from the very beginning, they were doing these cataract eye camps to people who were going blind. Because in India, that's the main cause of blindness, untreated cataracts. And they started in Vrindavan. And in a particular part of Vrindavan called Barasana, the place of Radha. Radha is the feminine aspect of the supreme, divine, absolute Godhead. The very origin of love Is the love between Radha and Krishna, or the Shakti and the Shakti Man. Sitaram. So, in this area of Bharasana, there are many, many villages that are extremely poor materially. People live in little thatched huts and they And uh, the people that come to our camp, almost all of them, have never seen a doctor or a dentist in their lives. And now they're in their 80s and 90s. And they can't see. They're going blind. And after doing you know the eye camp for a couple of years and you know, taking out their cataracts and putting little lenses and giving them sight, we saw that their teeth were rotting, so some of our dentists came. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but these are all very elevated people, spiritually, but physically, they're in poverty. So it's all volunteers and one particular doctor, he's an ophthalmologist, very highly renowned, very wealthy, lived in a, lives in a very comfortable place in Bombay, big apartment all the luxuries of life, fine foods, comforts. Like many, who were so successful and more or less had everything, he was feeling a certain emptiness that what am I, everything I'm doing is to get money for myself. What am I doing for others? So one of his friends told him about this Barsana eye camp because he was connected to some devotees who were you know, doctors. And he said, I'm going to go. And oh, what it's like there. It's cold. There's no heat. It's in the winter. And there's mud everywhere. And there's primitive conditions. People are in tents. The doctors in those days were intense. <laughs> Freezing. Not getting paid anything. Suffering. <laughs> and he was thinking, God, this, what am I doing here? Um, but he committed himself like to a week, so he was there. And he did a surgery for one l- old Birgabasi lady. She was, she, he, did, he did several hundred surgeries throughout the day and throughout the night he was doing, among others. and there's a, like some tents in those days where like about 50 little cots are there and the people, after their surgeries, they lay down for a day and they have patches on their eyes. And then the doctor comes and because they're devotees of Radha, <laughs> the doctor takes the patch off and a nurse is holding a, a painting of Radha Krishna. And for many of them, it's the first time they've seen in months, sometimes years. So this one old lady, she was completely illiterate. From this obscure village, she was dressed literally in rags. Just faded clothes, probably the same clothes she's been wearing for 20 years very thin, emaciated. She was probably in her 80s, but she looked like she was in her 100s because such a tough life. Her her skin was like just wrinkled and dried and she really looked old. (laughs) And she's just laying there with a patch in her eye, just still and silent. And the doctor came, the same doctor I was telling you about. If you like the story, yes. <laughs> have patient because it gets better. <laughs> he removed the patch from her eye, and the nurse had a picture of Radha Gopinath impartial toward (laughs) and when she saw the picture it was the first time she could see in so long clearly otherwise it was just a fog and she was so happy she was seeing Krishna with one of her eyes she jumped up out of Bed. She wasn't supposed to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but there's no way to try to discipline old Bridgivasi ladies.
1: <laughs>
0: They're on a spontaneous platform. She jumped, she jumped right out of bed, and with her old, wrinkled, emaciated hand, she started as hard as she could, slapping the doctor on the top of the head. <laughs> slapping, slapping, slapping like this. And as she was slapping, she was crying in joy and gratitude. And she was screaming out, may Radharani bless you. You have given me sight to see her. May Radharani bless you with her love, with her mercy, with her grace, with her pray. May Radharani bless you. And she was hitting him and hitting him. And He was standing there crying. He wasn't crying because he was getting hit. (laughs) He was crying because he never experienced such joy in his life. He was getting blessed by an old lady (laughs) and the blessing was coming because he performed austerities, he underwent the greatest difficulties of his life to help her and he did not get anything monetarily or any type of material prestige, there was nothing coming in return. That was his joy, the joy of seva. Selfless service. There is no greater joy than that. He said to the doctors, every year I'm coming back to this ICANN. Before he got this blessing, he was just waiting to get out of there. (laughs) But he saw what a difference he made in somebody's life not just physically, but spiritually, because with her eyes she was seeing Krishna. She was seeing even more than Krishna, Radha. And she was jubilant in giving we receive. After that, this doctor, throughout the year, you know, he would live in his beautiful Residence in Mumbai and have all the luxuries and technologies, and had his beautiful uh, medical clinic that he developed. But he would come to live in tents and cots. <laughs> he would work all year with the expectation, anticipation that the joy of my life, the culmination of everything as I do when I go there to offer selfless service to these great personalities. Even though he had so much materially and she had nothing materially, he felt completely humbled by her. He told us, the greatest joy of my life was to be blessed by her. What is that joy? Unconditional, unmotivated, loving service is, is to the Supreme Being. And to be an instrument of God's love, Krishna's love to others, Is the only true joy for the heart, for the soul. It's the origin of all joy. Ananda mayobi ashat, it's what everyone is seeking. In the 1960s, there was a song, All You Need Is Love. <laughs> Have any of you ever heard that? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> It's true, but there are so many layers of understanding what that means. You know, on one level, we're just looking for loving relationships in this world, and that's all we really need. All that little baby needs is the love of a mother, but the origin of that is all the soul needs is to feel God's love. And to reciprocate with that love, Lord Caitanya offered a beautiful prayer: Natanam te na jana nam na sundarim kavitam vajagatisha kama ye mama janmani janmani Ishwari bhavatad bhakti rohiy te kiitvai." He's praying to. Govinda, to Ram, to Krishna, to the one supreme being who has many names, who has appeared in this world in many ways. He's approaching Krishna with a prayer. I do not want Wealth? wealth. I do not want the beautiful, the beauties and the pleasures of sexual relationships, or emotional, psychological relationships. I do not want fame. I don't even want liberation from suffering. I have no interest in this mukti of liberation from suffering. I only want, I'm only praying for one blessing in whatever situation I'm in in life, bless me with the opportunity to serve you and please you forever. That is love. To aspire for that love is to actually understand what dharma, what spirituality truly could be. Pralad Maharaj, he was a little boy of five, many of you know this story. He was put through so many difficulties, Un- inconceivable atrocities, abuses, life-threatening attacks, and he never did anything wrong. He was just a nice person, but others, Hiranyakashipu, Kashipu, his only relative. relative, was so envious of him because he couldn't control him. And ultimately, when he was liberated by Narasinga, an avatar of the Lord, The Lord said, you have gone through so much for me. I want to give you any benediction, any blessing, whatever you want. And little Prahlad, he said, if I ask anything from you, then I'm not a devotee, I'm just doing business with you. I'm happy. Whether they're throwing me in pits of serpents, whether they're throwing me in fire, whether they're pushing me under a mountain and holding me under the bottom of an ocean, and these are all things that happened to them, it wasn't theoretical. Whether they're saying the most nasty things about me, and and, and lucky there wasn't internet in those days. (laughs) They were trying to do everything to disgrace him and cause him pain and kill him. He said, I'm happy. Those situations, they really have very little significance, because I'm seeking shelter of you. And in seeking shelter of you, I'm feeling your shelter, I'm feeling your love, I'm transcendental to all these things. What could I possibly want except just? To love you and to serve you, just let me love you and serve you. I don't want anything from you, but if you must give me something, Paradukaduki, if you if you if you insist on giving me something, then this Hiranyakashipu, who dedicated his life to destroying me, give him liberation. Give him eternal joy in the spiritual world." That's all he asked. And then he asked for one more thing. He said, not only him, but I don't want liberation. I don't want happiness. Let me remain in this world and suffer in any way necessary Help other people to find your love. Give me that blessing. That is bhakti. That is prema. That is karuna. That is compassion. Because as love awakens within our hearts, divine love, when we come in contact with Krishna's love, satata bhajatam Puriti pariti-pūrvakaṁ yogam tam yenam amapagantate Then Krishna reveals Himself from within and then we understand how Krishna loves everyone. And we want to be an instrument of that love. And that is a joy that is beyond liberation beyond anything that the santa clauses are standing in line <laughs> to to receive tonight or any other night it's what it's what the heart the soul is thirsting for the tendency in this world is we want we expect things and we want things to go the way we Plan. But there's a problem with that state of mind. The world doesn't work that way. This last summer I was in California because I see one wonderful devotee here from Long Beach, California. She she started a wonderful yoga studio in Long Beach. And I was driving from Los Angeles to Long Beach. And as I was driving, we were on Highway 1, Pacific Coast Highway. It was a long beach. <laughs> and there were people surfing. How many of you have surfed in the ocean with surfboards? Well, when I was a little boy, I used to live in Chicago. (laughs) In fact, 30 miles north of Chicago. And the winters were so brutal in those days. There was such deep snow and ice and massively powerful winds at least that's the way it felt for like a 10 year old boy or 11 year old boy and my service to the family was before going to school every day i had to shovel the snow and break the ice so that my father could drive his car to go to work and that was really Miserable. (laughs) Should I continue? It's taken a while for you to figure that one out. I've been giving many hints. But <laughs> Thank you. Right, but this this is very harmonious with what the lesson is I'm trying to. <laughs> so I'm shoveling the snow and it's so heavy and I'm <clears throat> and just and I had I had a little transistor radio and I had earphones and I'd listen to music while I be and there was there was this band called the Beach Boys (laughs) and they would sing about surfing (laughs) and they'd be talking about all these beautiful girls in bathing suits and in the hot sun of this California beaches and going on surfboards and uh, it sounded so fun. (laughs) <laughs> and I'd be freezing with the wind, shoveling snow. And I'd be thinking, That's, if, if there's a heaven, it's California. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, my karma, my destiny, I was just praying, let me go to California and learn how to surf. But I ended up living in a cave in the Himalayas. (laughs) And Himalaya means the abode of snow. (laughs) But I found so much happiness there, I I lost all my desire for surfing. (laughs) But anyways, here I am, so I never surfed in my life. I'm going down Highway 1, going to Long Beach, And there's all these people surfing, and and I'm looking down, and and I'm thinking, what am I supposed to learn from these people surfing? And I learned something wonderful. Do I have time to share it with you? (laughs) The waves are quite high in that area. And I saw these people, they're on their boards, and they 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 jump up on it, and they're standing on it, and the waves are moving, and they have no control over the waves. But they have control of how they adjust to the waves. And a good surfer is not one who just always gets good waves, because every wave, every second is unpredictable. It's one who knows how to adjust herself or himself to whatever the wave does to create a balance and to keep moving forward. And I was thinking, life is like that. Because circumstances, how people treat us, what the weather is going to be, (laughs) <laughs> what the situations of the results of our activity, success, failure, honor, dishonor, pleasure, pain, happiness, distress, um, health, disease, these dualities are inevitable always within the world. Avramabhubana loka punar avartanojana mamupetyatukondya apunar janma navityate. The Gita tells, from the highest planet of Brahma down to the lowest planet of Patala, they're all places of inevitable suffering on the physical and mental level because everything's temporary. And ultimately, there's inevitable death. But one who takes The shelter of the Supreme Being never suffers. And even their suffering actually awakens deeper love, deeper joy. So yoga is about being flexible, the Hatha Yoga process. Many people I've seen who are yogis, they're really flexible. You know, if, you know the places they can put their feet are just unbelievable.
1: <laughs>
0: but more than that, the whole idea of being flexible physically is to be flexi- flexible mentally. And the only way we could actually truly have that mental flexibility is viṣayāvanīvārtan vartante nīrāhārāsya-dehāna pyasya param drishtvani vartate We need to be actually connecting to a higher experience within ourselves. Mm-hmm. Krishna tells in Gita, true intelligence, true yoga is finding peace, love and happiness within ourselves. In other words, taking shelter. Shri Padbala Bacharya, he gave us this beautiful mantra, Shri Krishna Sharanam Mama. Krishna, I am seeking shelter of you. Krishna, you are my eternal shelter. It's Bhagavad Gita, Sri Chaitanya Mahabharam, Nadanam Najanam Nadanam Nassani, Ashlisya Vapadada My dear Lord, Lord Chaitanya prayed, whether you embrace me, or whether you trample on me, or whether you break me, making brokenhearted by neglectingly, please, anything you like, I'm your servant unconditionally. So sometimes people are going to treat us really bad. And it hurts the most when people that we place our trust in, our faith, betray us. That happens to everybody. And things just don't go our way. Even the littlest things can annoy us so much. Yes. I mean, I have to admit that these days, the way things are like wrapped up in plastic and sealed. And just just to open a bottle of water. (laughs) Sometimes you can't do it. There's all these seals, and you have to just be searching for a scissors or a knife or something, and there's not one around. In it. And it people have nervous breakdowns over things. <laughs> but what to speak of big problems that come? You know, I. I was recently speaking to a very successful businessman in India, and so many challenges and problems in his business, you know, literally, you know, sums of money that we can't even comprehend he's losing every day and there's nothing because you know different laws of nations have changed different trade policies and everything and it's totally beyond his control. He's done everything right and it's been working for so many years and now everything is like this. He came to me and you know what I told him? I told him how to surf. <laughs> Let me teach you, teach you what I learned. I never got on a surfboard, but I saw them. <laughs> you have to just adjust to whatever the situation. If you're depending on the circumstances, you are going to suffer. You are so vulnerable. But if you learn to adjust, then you could, anything that happens, you keep moving forward. You keep making progress. And that's what spiritual life is. In seeking shelter. Our beloved Namrās was singing such beautiful kirtan, Jai Jagannath Prabhu, Tulsi. So many kirtan singers are here. when they're singing, it's not just music. It's like that little baby crying for the mother's shelter, because God, Kali nama Krishna Avatar, Nam Namakari Bahuda, sarva shaktis the Supreme Person, has appeared within the holy name to give us shelter but that we realize that shelter to the degree we seek shelter with all our hearts. So coming together and seeking that shelter and seeking that direction, then we actually have the strength, we have the vision when we're hearing. Transcendental wisdom, how to adjust ourselves to every situation that comes, wherein we're making positive spiritual progress. We're moving forward to the greatest of destinations, the Paragati. and in giving we receive. When we have this understanding then whatever situation is there how may I serve? How may I live with compassion toward others? When we really focus on helping others then we transcend our own difficulties. But at the same time, in order to have compassion to others, we have to have compassion on ourselves. We can't hold things against ourselves so much. We have to uh, rectify where we're going wrong. We've given this example here in this room of the GPS. GPS is like surfing. You know, you type in a destination and then you're driving, and usually there's a voice that comes on. In one mile, turn right. (laughs) You're driving, yes,
1: yes.
0: (laughs) In 500 feet, turn right. In 10 feet, turn right. And what happens with me, sometimes, usually, is I start thinking about something, you know, and I forget to turn right. (laughs) And I'm going the wrong direction. And then the voice says, recalibrating. Sometimes they say recalculating. And then from where you went wrong, (laughs) They tell you how to go go in the right direction again. It's like surfing. And the bhakti center is a place to help us all to recalibrate, (laughs) recalculate. Satsang is to help each other to all, in whatever situation, and whatever life changes, whatever may be happening in the world, Individually and collectively, we're trying to move forward in any situation, making progress, and making progress in a way that we're making a difference in other people's lives and in the world. The whole idea of climate change what can we do about it? Just by. P- by focusing on purifying our own hearts and adjusting in such a way to live in a harmonious way with the environment and with each other, we can make a big difference. The beauty of life not is not only in the quantity of what we accomplish, but the, equality, the quality of our intentions and how we exercise those intentions, and compassion. Compassion to humanity, compassion to all all living beings. To the degree we're spiritually connected, we see every living being as God's child, as our brothers and sisters, and we feel for them, and we want to make a difference. And sometimes the pain of seeing suffering connects us to the joy of giving. And that is bhakti. Thank you very much.